right, open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4, and I commend you for studying 1 John. It's not easy. Have you noticed? All right, we're in 1 John chapter 4. You're almost on this one, and then you have the two small little postcards at the end, 2 John and 3 John. In my 30 years as a pastor, I can categorize most of the counseling or the questions or the conversations I've had with our congregants at Bent Tree in two categories that we'll cover tonight from 1 John 4. And that is people, and, and this is me too, I'm a people. People, Christians, can have little confidence in their understanding of truth, what does God say about a thing? What is right about a thing? What, where's the scripture for that? So people suffer for lack of confidence in that. And in the areas of love and relationships. Am I in love? Should I love? Does God love me? So I can roughly take all those conversations and put them in those two categories, and that's what we have today before us. We have a conversation that John is having with us about these two really important um, aspects of our faith, truth and love and our confidence in those things. So the big heading over all of chapter four, if you can write it somewhere on your notes, there's no fill-ins on your notes, you're gonna have to find space, good luck. There's the big overarching idea for me as I read through this text, that he's talking about the divine origin of truth and love and how it builds our confidence. The divine origin of truth and love and how that builds our confidence. In other words, <laughs> if truth is revealed by God who does not change, so there is truth, Outside of us, there is a truth that has been revealed by God, by the divine. And he does not change, that truth does not change, then I can rest on that truth and have confidence, right? If love comes from God, the divine, it, it initiated by him, it's demonstrated and incarnated by Jesus. Jesus brought it to earth, this love of God that is higher than any kind of love we really know as human beings. And if God will not leave and abandon me, which he won't, then that love will never go. So I can have confidence in his love. You see what I'm saying? So we can have confidence in the truth and confidence in love, especially God's love, because they have a divine origin. Isn't that good to know? We don't have to make up truth on our own. Yay! We don't have to make up love on our own. Yay! It comes from God. And so we can trust it, we can rest on it, we can have confidence in it. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And what I, what I plan to do is I'm going to take a few minutes on this first side of the sheet, we're going to flip it over, look at the rest, and we're going to look at chapter four in basically two chunks, a truth chunk and a love chunk. Love chunk. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm going to just make comments on the text in here, Okay. So um, let me read for you, with you, if you have your Bible, turn to 1 John, and I'm going to go at the end of chapter 3 to actually start chapter 4, because I think um, it's a better start. 
I'm in 1 John chapter 3 at the end of verse 24, the B part. So the A part says, 1 John 3, 24, those who keep his commands live in him and he in them. Here's the B part. And this is how we know that he, God, lives in us. We know it by the spirit, capital S, spirit, he gave us. So John is now talking about the Holy Spirit and how he is a gift from God to us because everything comes and initiated, originates from the divine. So the Spirit is given to us, right? And now his whole discussion in chapter 4 on truth, if you write it somewhere in your margin, is a discussion between the capital S Spirit versus the small s Spirit's. The Spirit of Antichrist, the Spirit of Error, the Spirit of Falseness, All of that is at war against the capital S Holy Spirit whom we have been given inside of us because of our faith in Jesus. So there's a war going on about truth from the world system against the spirit, against God and his truth that originates from him. And this war often causes us to lose confidence because mostly... We are drinking every day from the fountain of the small S spirits. Television, social media, all of that, our workplace conversations, they're not necessarily focused on the divine origin of things, are they? (laughs) We get to Bible study or church, then we are drinking from the fountain of the Holy Spirit. And when you have your personal time with the Lord, that's why that's so important, it's a lifeline. So it's going to talk about the dichotomy or the the antagonism between the things of the divinely originated Holy Spirit given to us, bringing us truth, putting in us his love, and the things that war against it and try to prevent it from taking root in our lives. Does that make sense to you? Are you, are, are, am I clear? Okay, so let me see if I can get to it, and then we'll flip the page over. You with me? All right, so I'm going to go. First John, end of three. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether or not they're from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, those Antichrist spirits, because the one who is in you, Holy Spirit, is greater than the one who is in the world, little s spirit. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever listens to God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And this is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. All right? So now go to your note page and let me just point out a couple of things. The first thing I want to point out is structure. For all you Bible study nerds, you're going to see a repeating two words throughout this text. Dear friends, dear friends, dear friends, dear friends. If I was outlining this text on a piece of paper like I did, I would probably use that as my outline because it's a structure thing. So be aware when you read your Bible that there is structure that helps you connect thoughts. And and this is how, of course, 
John is writing a letter, so he's not thinking of structure, but it, there are points, or like anchor points, that you can think, oh, something's changing, or he's saying something different. Go to um, verse 2. It says, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges, you see I put the word confess by that. It's a Greek word that means to say the same thing. So it's a, there's a speaking function, and you're agreeing with something. So you're agreeing with it, and you're saying it. Our English word, acknowledge, the way we think of that is like, you can acknowledge it in your like silence. Like, you don't have to say anything. You don't have to nod your head. You can just agree with it inside. That's what we think acknowledgement is. But that's not what this is saying. This is a confession. So every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ, underlying Jesus Christ, he does not have two names. Jesus isn't his first name, and Christ is his last name. Many people think that. Jesus means the one who saves, so it's about salvation. Jesus, it was his humanly given name. They call him Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. That's what his name means, so we're going to call him Jesus. Christ is a title. He actually should be called Jesus the Christ. That's his name. His middle name is the. Jesus the Christ. Christ, right? Because Christ is a title. Christ means the anointed one. It's the Greek version of the Hebrew Messiah. Anointing means to smear or to wipe. And so like blood is smeared, right? Or you smear oil when you're anointing someone. If you're having a massage, you're smeared with that, right? So Christ means the anointed one, the Messiah, the one who is bringing, who's smeared with all the things from heaven is bringing it to earth. So he's Jesus, the Christ. That's what you're confessing. That's what you say yes to and agree with it verbally. Not just acknowledge it, but for the capital S spirit, when someone comes to faith in Christ, what we are believing into is his name, the one who saves, who came in the flesh as a human baby and lived a perfect life, and died with that body on the cross to take our sins upon himself. That's Jesus. And then Christ, the anointed one, he is God. He is God's only begotten son. He is the promised one from Genesis 3.15 that said that he would crush Satan under his heel, but he himself would be bruised a little bit. That's the cross. Genesis 3.15, promised all the way back then and all the way into his life on earth and death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, and now his glory. So there's so much packed into Jesus' name. That's the confession. So that's what it's saying. Every spirit that confesses this name, this name, has, and that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Why is it that it says Jesus come in the flesh? What's the importance of that? The importance of that is had Jesus not come in the flesh as a human being, sinless though he was, he wasn't taking his own sins to the cross. He was taking yours and mine and the sins of the whole world. But he had to be a human being taking the place, the substitute for other human beings, 
right? So he had to come in the flesh, born as a human. The other thing it means is that he could never be our high priest. He could never sit with you when you're having a difficult time and, and hear your tears and, and take on your things, right? So this is why he's come in the flesh. All right. I'm trying to think. I'm looking at the clock, and I'm like, I'm racing against the clock. Okay. Here's what I want to say. There are essentials of the faith. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The fact that God's word is a special revelation to us from him. The fact that salvation is by faith alone, through Christ alone. That Jesus is virgin born of human flesh. There's probably four or five fundamental, essential parts of our faith. You probably have them listed here at IBC. You can have a long doctrinal statement, but your statement of faith, the things that are heaven or hell issues, those are essentials. And in the essentials, put this down, there is unity. In the essential things, there must be unity. In other words, you have to agree with the essential things. In the essentials, there must be unity. Second part of this. In the non-essentials, all the other stuff, there must be liberty. In other words, if I am uh, blue and you happen to be red, we will probably disagree, but we are still Christians unified around those essential things. All the rest is not essential. It's not heaven or hell how you vote. There is where we have liberty. We give each other the freedom to agree and disagree agreeably. Agreeably. People. It's crazy town out there. Okay, so that's the first part. In essential things, there's unity. In the non-essentials, there's liberty. And in everything else, in all things, actually, there's charity or love. In all things, there's charity. In the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. Love, love, love. And that takes us into our second section here. First John 4, 7 through 21. So now John turns to that second area that we lack confidence in, which is love. Does God love me? If I sin, does he still love me? Will he always love me? Uh, why don't I love my spouse? Why doesn't he love me? Um, why isn't anyone loving me? There's so many questions we have, and so we lack confidence in this area of love. So let me read that. We're going to go to verse 7 down to 21. Read along with me. It's on the sheet here. I'm reading from my NIV Bible, so a word or two may be different, but I'll do the best I can. Dear friends, there's your little structure, nerds. You Circle that. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, 
Since God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. God has given of us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges, that's the word confess, that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. Memorize that word, that, that uh, verse. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence in the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If we say we love God yet hate a brother or sister, we are liars. For if we do not love a fellow believer whom we have seen, we cannot love God whom we have not seen. And he has given us this command, those who love God must also love one another. May God add his blessing to the public reading of his word. We don't often take time to read his word out loud to each other. It's so precious when we do it. Let me point out a few things to you. Um, in verse uh, uh, 7, you'll see, um, I'm sorry, verse 8, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. So um, this is not an abstract concept. Um, love is not just a squishy thing with God. Um, I put it down here. It's his holy passion expressed in action. So he, there's a feeling that becomes an action. There is this this ethos about God that is sending his son. He loves the world, he sends his son. He, he feels and he uh, acts, and this is what Jesus does in his ministry as well. And the fact that God is love, God is also holy. God is also mighty. God is also kind. God has many, many attributes. Love is not the only one. Love might be the summary of all of them. We don't know. But every one of those things that God is, he's 100% those. He's always holy. He's 100% holy, 100% love, 100% kind, 100% patient. He is all of those things. So it's not like you have God as a pie and you slice it up and you say, that's his love, that's his kindness, that's his patience. That's not right. He's 100% of all of those attributes 100% of the time. He lives in perfection. He's perfectly all of those things. But... I think what John is saying is that love originates from God. It's not coming from us. We didn't, like, figure it out. It wasn't some beautiful Shakespearean poem. And, oh, great, we're in love now. We got words for it. No, it's who God is. It comes from him, the divine origin of truth and the divine origin of love so that you can have confidence in it. That's what he's getting at here. I would say there is no true love apart from God. Really, the truest of the true and most faithful loves is the love God has for you and for me. That's beautiful. 
And look in verses 11, it says, Dear friends, says God loved us, we are to love one another. 12, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. What that is saying is his love is seen through us. When we love other people, God's love comes to its completion because somebody else received it. They saw it and received it. You get to be the hands and feet of Jesus as we love one another. There's so much in here. Turn the page. I try to make these notes so dense because I want you to be able to go back and read them and have it. So um, you're the Bible students of this church. You're the tough girls. (laughs) You can take it. Give me that Bible. Give me it straight. No cream, no sugar, give it straight, (laughs) right? So that's why I wanted to load it up for you. Um, Turn the page, and up at the top, I have this phrase. Those who cannot love visible people made in God's image cannot love an invisible God. You see that sentence? That top paragraph, it's the third line down all the way to the right. Those who cannot love visible people made in God's image cannot love an invisible God. God's love shown by believers is how God is seen in this world. That's why we love, because the world can't see it. The world is listening and seeing other things. But when we love as Jesus loved, eyes open, ears hear, hearts change. That's why we love. God's love wasn't put in your heart to stay. God's love is God's love when you give it away. God's love wasn't put in your heart just to stay. God's love is really God's love when you give it away. This is why we love. Okay, so what? I am determined to finish this. I have 20 bucks riding on the fact that I'm going to finish. No, I don't. I don't have I would probably lose the bet every time. Why would John talk about truth and love? Because he wants us to learn how to distinguish the spirit of truth from the, I should have put small s, spirit of error. So test means to examine, prove. I'm on number three, and I'm looking at A. To examine, prove, or scrutinize to determine whether or not something is genuine. Why do we test the spirits? So we're supposed to test the spirits. And he says, why do we test the spirits? And he answers it in 1 John at the beginning of chapter 4, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Duh. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. They're everywhere. If you go down the rabbit hole of YouTube, you're going to find every one of them. Biblical leaders have encouraged the practice of testing the spirits. Jesus did it. Paul, Peter did it. Paul did it. And then Christians in the New Testament have practiced this idea of testing things. The Bereans did it in Acts 17 and the church at Ephesus in Revelation 2 too. Also, we're filtering things to make sure that uh, it was from God. How do we test the spirits? There's two ways. We ask ourselves, does the teaching and the content, this is C- 
Number one, does the teaching or the teacher and the content agree that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? You may have to check out someone's statement of faith. Go on a website, and if they're a Christian espousing website, then look for a statement of faith and check it out. And if you have questions, ask one of the pastors here at IBC because they will help you determine. And then the second test is, does the teaching agree with what the apostles taught? So this test assumes we understand what the apostles taught. And I take you back to the essentials of the faith, the five or six things that they taught. Over and over and over again, that Jesus Christ is who he is, and he did what he did did and he is now where he is and he does what he does now like that these essentials of the faith that's what they taught and that's what the early church gathered around they stayed true the early church continues steadfastly in the apostles doctrine you can read that in acts 2 42 the church leaders in corinth recognized the apostles words as the lord's commands so paul would say the lord hasn't said this but i say this that's apostolic authority for you. Okay? And then the apostles recognized other apostles' writings as scripture. So Peter says in 2 Peter, what Paul writes in scripture is hard for me to understand. <laughs> I think that's pretty bold. You know that Paul guy? He's pretty confusing. Read my books. They're much better. <laughs> and I have a book signing later, right? So that would be Peter. At the end, given the of number th of letter three uh, C, given the proliferation of religions and doctrines bombarding us today, John's exhortation is still relevant. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God. And write this down: We live in an age of spirituality, small s, lowercase. We do not live in an age of the spirit in the sense that people flock to the Holy Spirit. Some place in the world they do. But we live in an age where spirituality, small s, is the, the higher goal. I want to be tolerant of everything, experience so much. I don't want to put anything above anything else. That's not coming from God. God is confident that he is who he is. And so he says, I thought that up. How I say it is how it actually goes. There is a divine origin to truth and love that we have to pay attention to and we can't wander far away from when we get into a heap of trouble. Now what? So what do we do with this truth that is, has a divine origin that comes from God that we have confidence in? We love. Sibling love, the love of brothers and sisters. This is God's, remember, his passion that expresses itself in action. That's what we do. We have a passion for other people. We have a love for others, and so we act out that love. That's what sisterly love is about. I put sisterly love because we always hear brotherly love, and I wanted to say, hey, there's sisterly love too. In fact, the Greek word in the plural, brothers, adelphoi, means in many contexts and scriptures, brothers and sisters. So let's just put sisters in there. Sisterly love is evidenced by daughtership, so it comes from our identity in Christ. It's defined by God's love, so God's love is what our sibling love ought to look like. It's evidenced by fellowship with God, so we're communing with God. We have friendship with God, and then we have friendship with our other sisters. It provides confidence for us. When we are loved, 
not only by God, but by other people. It gives us confidence, doesn't it? And then it's essential to even loving God. Loving other people and loving God are connected. I think this is John's great contribution to us. And it's not something we like to really think about. We have a very independent culture in the United States, and we like to have our personal time with God, and nobody else is in there. And this outreach stuff and this social stuff and this other stuff, not you guys because you're in it, but most people are like, I don't want to touch anybody. I don't want to say hi to anybody. I want to come in with my coffee and hear the word of God, and then I want to get up and run. I know. Why? I don't know. Because we like to say, I only want the truth part. Some people don't even come to the worship. They only come to the truth part. Like, the other stuff isn't true. So, you know what I mean. Here's the conclusion. Our love for God is made visible through our sisterly love. The way you guys love each other. I love, I love your love. The way you guys love each other. You are demonstrating to the world system of those little S spirits. We have the real thing right here, right now, Tuesday nights. It's the commandment of Jesus. Loving God and one another summarizes the old entire New Testament. And we can't neglect this command. We must love one another. Here's what John Piper says. He says, to whom do you give credit that you have a confession from the heart that Jesus has come in the flesh? To whom do you give credit that once the gospel was spoken, it went into your ear and then into your heart and became faith, saving faith to you? Who do you give credit? To whom do you give credit? I urge you to give credit to the one who is in you, who is greater than the one who is in the world. The Holy Spirit of God, he made it possible. Love changes us. My mom, schizophrenic, I had to care for her for 16 years. She was here in the Dallas area with me. Our relationship was so fragmented and broken. I actually ran to Texas to get away from her. Mental illness is often terrifying for those of us who don't have it and don't understand it. And it's even more terrifying for those folks who have to deal with it. And then one day she came down here and was in my orbit. And my brother said, now you're caring for her. I was terrified. But let me tell you, over those 16 years, through many strokes that my mom had and many limitations, I came to love her. My mom never changed. I have to admit, it was easier to love her when the you know, strokes took out her speaking. <laughs> so if you know older ladies, sometimes they have no filter and things come out, right? So she could never hurt me because she really lost her, her ability to speak, but she also lost her ability to swallow, so she was fed by a tube for about a decade. The message I want to say is this divine love 
that originates from God changes us. I could lay in my bed and watch, or lay in my mom's bed and watch Downton Abbey with her after I'd plucked her chin hairs and brushed her dentures and shaved her legs and all the stuff daughters do. The love that God put in my heart pushed out that hatred, pushed out that fear. I look back on those years. She's been gone since 2013. I wouldn't trade them now. What I was terrified of was a gift that God was giving me. Because I changed. I'm so grateful that it's true. God is love. Thank you, sisters, for letting me be with you tonight. If you don't remember anything I said, which is such a possibility. God is love. Love one another. Six words. Let's say them together. God is love. Love one another. Amen. Have a good night.